All right, welcome back to Lindraw Hockey Podcast. We are in partnership with Black and Gold Hockey Productions. Today, you're here with co-host father and son duo, Andrew and Jim Lindraw. Dad, how are you doing today? Doing great, Andrew. So our guest, we're going back over across the pond, as we like to say, to uh, the Elite League yep. in the UK. Why don't you give us our introduction to our guest today? This yeah. Week. So today we're excited to have with us Dale Keen. So Keno played in the SNL from as a player from 2011 to 2014. And then later served as a player assistant coach um, his last two seasons. From there, he began his coaching career behind the bench permanently as a uh, assistant coach in the or what was known as EPIHL at the time for Sheffield Dogs. And as assistant coach, um, was involved with the Basing Stoke Bison U18 team. The following year, he's promoted to head coach for the U18 team. And then from there, gathered another promotion in 2018 um, to become the assistant coach for the Coventry Blaze of the EIHL. And then as well, took, uh, the following season, took an additional position with the Great Britain under 20 WJC organization as an assistant coach as well. And so he's both still involved with those organizations. So without further ado, we are excited to have with us uh, current assistant coach for the Coventry Plays. Kino, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing really well. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. So, Dale, so you played, like I said, a bit in the SNL at the time and before uh, taking on the player coach role which we don't see too often in competitive leagues anymore. So what was that experience like as a player coach and how did that help prep you to become a future bench boss? Um, I've always been interested in, in coaching. Um, I, I come from sort of a, a lineage of, of, of coaches. Uh, my dad was a, a soccer, a football, we would call her um, coach. Um, my mum, my mother has uh, more coaching qualifications than, than I will ever have. Um, so it, it comes from there and I began coaching around about 15, doing the hockey school circuits, uh, which then quickly turned into other sports as well, um, to working up, at, I've, I'm a qualified uh, physical education teacher, PE teacher. Um, so it, it started off there um, from, from about 15 and I, I took on the role as, as player coach at 20. Um, but before that, I had uh, an under six. I had the under sixteens team, and then I moved on to the under eighteens, and then it moved to under twenties, and then I, I took that role on. So, but by that time, I had it was five years sort of coaching. Um, however, it was a learning curve every single day, and I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily say that I was I was prepared. Um, but I had a good group of boys around me. Um, a lot of them were, were my, my friends back then, which was a tough thing to do is, is to coach your friends. Um, and then we're still we're still good friends today. But you know, it, it gave me a, a really good insight into into what what it was I wanted to do and, and really cemented um the, the, the you know the, the desire in me to to want to pursue coaching, you know, full time, um, which is, is where I'm at now. Um, but that, that's taken a, a long road. Um, to get here, I've, I've coached at every single level of uh, hockey in the UK, um, from under nines, um, little tiny, tiny guys, all the way through to now the, the, the top professional league in the country. So I, that's a start I'm very proud of, actually. Um, if you put the hard work in, you can you can get to where you want to be, and and hopefully one day keep moving forward. Awesome. Nice. Well, you eventually get an offer uh, as a as a full time coach uh, in Sheffield, the Sheffield uh, Dogs, and also assistant coach with the U eighteen team, uh, and you did that both at the same time. How did those opportunities come about for you? 
Um, the, the, the Steel Dogs um, came about through the, the hockey school circuit. The, the head coach at the time, um, who is the head coach now, uh, a guy called Greg Wood. And I've, I've known Woody since, again, I was roughly about you know 16. I've known him a long time. Um, and they needed some help with their, with their bench because he was, he was still playing. So the, the laws of the, the governing body required that a, a level, like a qualified coach, be on the bench. Um, so I, he took me on for the last half of the year um, whilst I was still down in, in, in Basingstoke. But I had, when, whilst I was in Basingstoke, I had a very good assistant, well, another good assistant and head coach that were able to run things whilst I was away. So was it tough balance, like bouncing your time management between the two competitive teams? Was it during the same oh, time? Or? Absolutely. And, and at the time, I was at university as well. Um, so there was it was a, a, a hard time, um, but I think it was worth it. It was certainly a, you know, to, to work in, in hockey full time, it's it's not an easy, not an easy task by any means. Um, so you, you have to be able to, you know, really put everything you, you have into it and be expected of yourself to work, you know, as many hours as possible, um, but it was a great challenge. I really, really enjoyed it. I can't, I can't fault it. I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't say it's the, the the best path to try and juggle so many things. However, it, it, it taught me a lot about myself and resilience, and you know, just the ability to to have a, a solid work ethic, which I, I believe that I have now. So. EPIHL, the semi-pro league, correct? Is that what it was known as at the time? Yeah, it was the, the EPL is what they called it. And so balancing now, you started the EPL and then the under-18 team. Was it difficult in transition in the way? I know strategies will be different and everything based on the different clubs, but were the rules different at all? Was there like more physicality, more checking allowed in the EPL compared to the under-18 under team? Was there any differences like that, hard transitions? No, both both leagues follow the the IHF uh, ruling system. Um, however, the the EPL had a, a special rule at the time; they were allowed to have five import players, um, but the, they could only ever have two import players on the ice at any one time. So, okay. managing that was, you know, it wasn't tough, but it was it was something additional that you had to think about. Wow. But other than other than that rule, the, the, the rules were all the same. Um, the the under 18s was it was a, a challenge. The, the young young boys at that age they're they're full of hormones, that they're, they're testosterone, ego. Um, one of the, the hardest challenges was was trying to sort of alert players of, of and be mindful of, of how their their actions can affect not only themselves but the whole team. Right. Um, and one of the biggest things about coaching under 18s, it was going into every training session, trying to, you know, trying to teach them how to be a better hockey player. But also, you know, it, there was times where you were, you weren't just a coach, you know, you were a friend. Um, there was a lot of a lot of challenging situations that happened that, that during that time with players. But like, it's they're all growth moments. So you quickly get your promotion to the elite league. How did you, um, how, how did, what, how, what was that like? What was, uh, maybe give us a, an insight uh, to the day you finally got the call and you say, 
you got the job as the assistant coach. What was that like? How did that come about? So um, I met Danny Stewart when I was roughly about 17. Um, and he was the, the head coach. Um, again, hockey school circuit. It's a great networking tool. So any young coaches out there aspiring, get on as many hockey schools as you possibly can. Um, so during that time, um, you know, we, we'd grew a friendship um, and he'd kind of been watching my career, um, seeing how, what I'd been doing. And during that time, I had been in Norway, I had been in Sweden, I had been in Finland um, for the majority of the summers doing, doing hockey schools there and, and making a bit of a name for myself um, as a, a skills coach. So initially, I, I was I was brought into to the blaze as a, a skills coach, and I'm very thankful to the organisation for and, and to, to Stewie for the the, the opportunity. Um, it's not an opportunity that many British young British guys get, so I'm I'm very very thankful for that. But I, yeah, back to your question, um, it was it was through skills. So me being over in you know in Sweden, I had been working with. Um, numerous SHL guys, the NHL draft picks, and then all the way down to, um, you know, like promising young under 16, under 18 talent um, in Sweden. So I'd been been working through that and they brought me on as a skills coach initially. Yeah, so I'm curious, what is, uh, what is the interview process like um, for getting a coaching position or is it more so the organization uh, – reaches out to you and just says, you know, that's the way they're kind of doing the hiring process, or is it like you have to kind of apply within this network of people? So, um, Stewie actually reached out to me. Um, I, was, I was standing in my, my kitchen when I had the phone call, um, and he, he reached out to me asking what my thoughts, what I was doing the next season, and, and what my thoughts were on possibly coming and, and giving him uh, a hand, just focusing more on skills. Um, but funnily enough, it, it was meant to just be a, a sort of one day a week thing where I would come for, you know, just uh, and integrate myself into the team, run a skill session once a week. And very quickly it turned into me uh, being there full time. So after your first year with Coventry Blaze, then uh, you again, I, I believe you double up with gigs and you end up joining the, the Great Britain under 20 WJC organization and do so for the next few years. What was that experience like? And of course, you know, again, how did you get connected to that? Was it the, the hockey school again? No, that, that was um, an application process. Okay. Um, so the, it went out on the Ice Hockey UK website that um, they were looking for. For, for new coaching staff um, so I, I put my name in the hat I'd actually put my name in the hat two years prior as well um, but I was unsuccessful then but I, I think with the, the weight of, of coaching in the, the, the top professional league in the country certainly helped um, so I, I put my name in the hat and I was invited to interview and um, with the, the elite league we don't have um, our playoffs are, are right around the time that the under 18s world championship is and the under 60s world championship is, but the, the under 20s world championship is, is round about you know Christmas time, same as the you know the, the, the world juniors. Um so that was a, a much easier um time for me to, to be released from from the club. Um but the, the, the club supported me the whole way. Um 
the our uh, one of our directors, Andy Buxton, is actually the, the the general team manager of the Great Britain senior team. So having having his back and having having Stewie's back and really helped me to you know to to go on and apply and gave me the confidence you know that if, if I was to get a, a role that um, I would be able to fulfil the role. Um, so yeah, it came from there. So there was a lot of support from the club. Um, obviously, I went to the interview, and they offered me the. Uh, under 20s assistant role so i'm curious do you just being the assistant coach and being able to not only coach those kids but be able to see all the talent you know firsthand there behind the bench does that almost give you an advantage as far as scouting you know maybe picking out players knowing if certain players are available if you're able to make a trade is that an advantage at all yeah absolutely um you know, I, I get to work with these players um, before they, they take the step, they take the leap to the next year. Um, and, and part of the, you know, the ethos that we have uh, with the under-20s is that we we are trying to teach these boys how to be pro. We're giving them the details, the level of details that it would be, that it would take to, to become a pro. Um, so it, it helps me in, in the way that I get to see these guys, you know, a little bit sooner than what other people would um, and we've taken advantage of that. We've given we've given quite a few boys that have played for the the national team, you know, a, a, an insight, an introduction into into the elite league. Um, gave them gave them a few games, gave them a few shifts, um, and yeah, it's we've we've been able to you know take guys on two way contracts. So we've been able to use them and have them practice with us. Um, so I, we've uh, uh, we've we've done really well through through having that avenue and the, the British players are important to the team um, and, and to the league we, we need to be replenishing the, the British players coming through all the time so we've had on uh, plenty of assistant coaches on our show um, and we became good friends with some of them matter of fact one of them uh, both the head coach and assistant coach was Rapid City um, right and so we're talking uh with well both coaches really but we're talking with the assistant coach and he was telling us at least on the echl the east coast league here some of the duties uh some of the good things that they have to do some of the bad things that they have to do um what is what is it the toughest job of being assistant coach in the elite league in the uk is it um and and are you dealing with any specialty teams like uh the power kill power play anything like that um, in terms of systems and stuff, um, Stewie um, will generally have an idea of, of what he wants to implement, um, and we discuss it. And, and I'm very lucky that I'm welcome to, to that discussion. So if there's anything that we want to change, it, it sort of a, it gives me the you know it empowers me to make a team decision. So we we both make the decision. Um, obviously, he has the, the final say on anything, um, but I, I'll. I like how I'm integrated into the decision making process. Um, a lot of, of my role includes the, the video, um, individual work. Um, I'll still run skill sessions. I'll still look at um, different aspects of players' games that we can improve through video, through um, through all nice um, practices and stuff. Um, the, the team video pre scouts, you know, analysing our games post game. Um, getting all that clipped and then you know sitting down with, with Stewie and, and going through those clips. Uh, I like to look at um, 
how teams are scoring. I like to look at lots of different data as well. I wouldn't go as far as saying that I'm a, a complete data analyst, hockey data analyst. I wouldn't go as far as saying that, but I, I do I do quite enjoy reading into some of the numbers and, and finding out the trends. Um, and that that gives me some some good ammo to, to take back to Stu so we can we can discuss it and you know see how we're moving on to the next games. Um, but like we we've got to wear different caps, different hats in, in the club. So you know we don't we're not just you know coaches we're we're, we're doing a lot more than that as well. But uh, like I wake up every day I'm just I'm very lucky to be in the position I'm in and that I don't forget that. I'm 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 very thankful I've got a a lovely partner here. We've, we've just had a baby, so um, you know we're happy here in Coventry. So it's you know I don't I don't wake up and think oh I've got to do this today. I, I wake up and I'm I'm excited to do to do everything. Um, right, so I wouldn't say there was any bad points. I, I I genuinely love love learning and and just doing my job. So. We've talked to some other coaches too, and unless you know you're at the NHL level and they have hired you know goalie coaches and everything, I don't know if you guys do over in the elite league. But if you don't, how do you guys manage the uh, goalies? Or because you know they're kind of their own beasts on their own island, you kind of just let them be, do their own thing. Maybe sometimes say something. Or how do you guys do that? Uh, we we don't necessarily allow them to do their own thing. We, we've had very good goalies, um, certainly my my tenure. Um, in Coventry, we've had CJ Mott for for two years. Um, so when I when a guy like CJ Mott comes along, who is a very knowledgeable guy, when he talks, he, he speaks real honestly and and with you know great knowledge. So there's again there's a there's a discussion there um, about the sort of things that, that he would like us to implement in practice, and and again at the same time. When we're watching video, when we're when we're in the games, when we are seeing you know different different trends that are happening, you know he's open to that feedback. Um, so it, it's a two way partnership, and and I believe I believe that's how coaching is nowadays. Um, players have to feel empowered; they have to feel empowered to be able to speak. Um, and at the end of the day, everybody's everybody's moving towards the same goal, this, and we all want to win. So why wouldn't we take feedback from from other guys, you know? Yeah. And and that's basically how we how we like to to work with our goalies. We like to take on that feedback and we'll structure things that that will allow them, you know, the time and, and the the shots that will help them improve. Awesome. Talk to us a little bit about the fan base um, with your club. Uh, we're familiar with with Sheffield because we've had on some Sheffield players. Like I said, a little bit about Manchester because we had on Sully last week. But talk to us a little bit about the fans there. And our impression from over in America is the fans have got that football, soccer attitude. And it, it seems like um, hockey's growing over there. And the fans are pretty pretty crazy about hockey, the ones that are into it. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, like our club has been, has been going for, for over 20 years now. Um, and we have fans that have been with us from the start. Um, so they're, they're very loyal people. Um, and we, we also have a, a lot of new fans as well that are relatively new to the game that, you know, come on a promotional package or something and, and they fall in love with the game, they fall in love with the team. Um, 
it's a different atmosphere, I would say, from from football. Um, it, it's it's much more family oriented. Just the, the way it is in in North America, um, in in terms of football, is quite not quite like that. Um, in in this country, um, however, the fans are very loyal, and they they they're not afraid to speak their minds, which is which is good sometimes. Um, but no, we, we're very lucky in Coventry. We, we do have a, a good fan base, and when we we'll, we'll fill the building, it, it makes it very loud, very intimidating. It's a it's a hard place to come to Coventry and and, and leave away with two points. Awesome. So as you know, um, both as a player and and now as a coach, developing a positive culture with a team so that you know it attracts players to come to your club and stay. What are some of the things that uh, the head coach and you and the rest of the coaching staff are doing to develop that positive culture to do, attract and keep those players? Um, well, we like to, as I said just just a couple of minutes ago, we, we like to, you know, not it's not a dictatorship, not not by any means. Um, we we like players to feel confident enough that they can they can discuss things. It's an open door policy. Um, if, if a guy wants to go and chat, then we'll, we'll chat by all means. Um, we like to have good relationships with our players. We like to create good memories that these players can take away and, and, and tell their buddies um, back home. We, we try to look after the, the players as, as best we can with, with with the confines and the constraints that we have. Um, but we provide them with, with, with good housing and you know, good facilities. Um, so we, we do try our best on and off the ice to give them exactly what they need so that they're here for a stress-free and stress-free time and we can all focus more on you know being successful. Okay. So give us a rundown of the previous season and now what can fans look forward to this upcoming next season for Coventry? I don't know the season we had with some ups and downs. Um obviously after COVID it was a difficult a difficult year for for everybody. Um, certainly, a lot of a lot of players weren't weren't wanting to travel outside North America. Obviously, NCAA had um, added an, an extra year on to, to everybody's um, scholarship or, or eligibility. Sorry, so it made it a little bit tough. But I, I felt we had a, a decent team. Um, we ran into some uh, some suspension problems. Uh, Quite quite early on in the year, um, and we had to battle through quite a quite a <laughs> a few challenging months. Um, but the, to be the boys were were unbelievable. Any time we were short, we uh, we the boys were un- unbelievable. That the character that they showed was was phenomenal. Um, then round about Christmas time, all the teams started to get COVID, so that added stress on. Um, with teams, you know, having to sit out for ten days, and then the loss in the country slightly changed, where you could get out after five or six days, or you could after six days if you had tested negative on day five and day six, you could you could get out. Um, so every team was was sort of bitten by by that. So when you when you lose two weekends of of games, then those games have to be added on. At some point, we ended up playing. I think it was twenty-three games in fifty days. Wow! Which 
and that was that was in March, so it was it was a really tough time. Um, but again, the boys boys persevered, showed some great character. Um, we roughly for most of the season we were sort of mid table. We were pushing for fourth place, and then just towards the end of the season, um, we we just hit a little bit of a slump. Um, and fortunately, we we finished uh, we ended up finishing eighth, which in our league um, you still make the playoffs, but it's a, a seeding system, so one plays eight, two plays seven, etc. So we pulled um, the current champions, the, the team who had just won the league in the Belfast Giants. And we, we hadn't been too successful against Belfast um, throughout the year. But, and I think a lot of people had written us off, but we went, oh, sorry, Belfast came to us the first night and we held them to a tie. We held them to a 2-2 tie. And we, we the spirits were up. We headed over to Belfast. The, we got on the, we left the rink at 5 a.m. to drive down to, Luton, I believe, Luton Airport, just maybe 45 minutes outside London. Um, so it's about an hour, hour or drive. We got on the flight, um, I think it was roughly about eight o'clock in the morning, flew over to Belfast, we landed. The boys were able to get some sleep um, in the hotel because the hotel were very accommodating. They were able to get us checked into our rooms pretty early. So, And then we went and played the four o'clock game four o'clock game on a Sunday in Belfast, a very, very tough thing to turn around, especially when you've played a seven o'clock game the previous night. So not just for, you know, the logistics of, of transporting a full team, you know, onto a plane across across one island to another island. Um, it's the, you know, how, how did the players feel after what's been such a... a, a Hard, very hard uh, end into the season. We're playing so many games, but the mental aspect, how are the boys going to cope with that? But again, we held them to a tie, and it, and it was a phenomenal game. Both teams were, were really doing their best to shut down each other. Um, we took the game to OT, ended up heading to a shootout. The, the game went to, I think it was the fifth round of sudden death. I think it was the 10th penalty shot that won the game for Belfast. And unfortunately, our season was was ended on that. And understandably, the boys were the boys were upset. You know, we wanted to continue and felt that we had played well enough to, to go on it. And it's a cruel way and it's not something that you guys will maybe understand that you know the playoff structure is slightly different here that we play a two-leg aggregate game so similar to to like a soccer game the the score over both games is what matters it's not about who wins the game who loses the game so on the Saturday night we tied but there was no OT so the game just finishes a tie so we head over to Belfast the game finishes a tie, so then we go to OT and then we go to the show. It's a very cruel way to end your season, very cruel way. Um, but with the logistics of, of the league, um, it's it's not it's not as easy for teams to uh, to to have their arenas um, available to play. You know, a, a, even a, a five game series, it's virtually impossible for for the, the arena teams to to do that. So. Um, we 
the league decided many years. I, I, well, I think from the the league's inception, I think it's been a a two game aggregate, and then into the playoff final weekend, one game semi final from from both teams, and then one game final. And the finals, I think it's ten minutes OT, and then shoot. So uh, when we would talk with Sullivan last last week, uh, we asked him this question. We'll get your take on this. What makes Belfast so good this past season? And I believe he said he he claimed it was one of the best teams he's ever played against. But what makes that team so good last season? Um, well, the top line of uh, David Goodwin, Scott Conway, and JJ Picknick had a combined total of over 200 goals, not just points. I think it was goals. Wow. Jeez. No, sorry. Sorry, I tell a lie. It was points. Okay. So, but that was incredible. Yeah. They, they were, that, that top line was exceptional, but then they have, you know, that the second line would be a first line on other teams. Um, they had Griffin Reinhardt, who was a, a um, number four draft pick. Tyler Vescovani, the, the goalie, he won DEL goalie of the year um, a couple of seasons previous. So they, they were just, they were built very well. Um, they, they play very well. They play very structured. Um, all the players bought into to the systems that the, the coaching staff were implementing over there. So they were a very good team. Um, I really enjoyed the games against Belfast. It's, it's nice you know, it's a good arena to go to, um, but I, I like I like when hockey's structured. I like when when teams are, are, are you know focused on the details. That's that's something that I enjoy a little bit more than some of the the open ice hockey that, that we see sometimes. But I, I, yeah, I think to for them they, they had they had that top line, but they also had secondary scoring um, throughout you know the, the full lineup. So I think that yeah, that, that's a massive factor. But that, that top line was so this really you guys good. only play 50 some odd games in a season compared to like 82 games here in North America. So there's not much room for a team to have too many games of being in a slump or injuries. Um, how do you, how how are you gonna how how's the coaching staff prepare and gonna prepare next season? to make sure everybody's up for every game? Because it seems like, you know, if you have a 10-game slump, that's, that's you know, a long time. Um, and that's, and that's a tough question to answer. Um, every game is, is meaningful. That There's no nights that you can take off, which obviously the, the, the mental aspect of that um, adds a little bit of stress to your game, but the, the one thing that, that we try and do is, is not allow our players to be stressed. And that, that comes from, you know, our head coach. Um, and, you know, we want to be stress-free. When we're playing stress-free, our team, our club, we're a better hockey club when, when we don't have stress. So we try and, and take as much stress away from players as we can. Um, unlike North America, we don't have a pool of, of players. You know, a guy goes down the American League they can pull any number of guys up from the coast. We, we don't have that here. 
um, we have a certain amount of work permits that, that we can we can have over the year so we can we can bring in some injury cover if it's going to be a long-term injury which we had to last year um, so that there's a little bit of room for you know protecting yourself and then it comes down to budgets is you can't you can't bring guys in just to sit them in the stands it, it just it doesn't work like that so in terms of, of what we can do as a coaching staff is, is try and keep our players as healthy as we can you know we're we're very conscious about you know how tough the weekends have been how, how hard the you know that we've practiced or whatever so we encourage our players to look after their bodies as much as we can and we give them as, as much um, information and, and guidance our physio staff are, are incredible um, our physios one of the, the physios for the mm. team Great Britain national team so we're incredibly lucky to have like a wealth of knowledge there um, so yeah we, we try and manage our, our practice load and you know with with, with them how we've seen the, the games go and if a guy needs needs some extra extra work off the ice then then we, we provide them with that awesome tough question we're gonna we're gonna make you the uk ambassador of hockey for a minute okay so and uh you know not not an easy uh question to answer but Talk to us a little bit about where you think the future of UK hockey is going to be with uh, letting our uh, uh, North American listeners know that uh, on the international scene, England's doing very, very well. Uh, a lot of... Um, not England, not England, Great Britain. Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, a lot of UK players are, are over here in North America now. Um, and and all over the place. Where do you think the future for UK hockey players is going to be, say, in ten years? From now? Um, uh, it's a very very tough question. Um, I, I feel that yeah, a lot of, of young players in, in the UK are, are they've been given the opportunity to to go across and play and and for different academies, different organisations in, in North America. Um, we're seeing a few kids now head over to Finland and to Sweden, um, but we're also getting a lot of talent staying here. So I think for, for me to answer that question, that there's, there's a couple of points. I think our coach education model has to improve. Um, certainly I've, I've looked into... Um, through my, my dissertation when, when I was doing my degree, um, I looked into the Swedish Hockey Federation's uh, coach education model. And uh, I, I actually I did a vignette um, using um, uh, a coach and he's focused through his, his journey of becoming what's like their elite uh, qualified coach. And basically I, I had coaches in this country read that and they were to to compare it between the experiences that they have had here. So I think something, maybe not as, as Sweden's a hockey nation, maybe not as dramatic as the Swedish Hockey Federation's coaching model. model. However, I think that would have to improve, um, give our, our coaches who, by all means, do a fantastic job. I'm not criticising any any coach in the UK and, and the junior system. They all do a fantastic job. They all give up their time 
Um, there's there's not many paid roles within junior hockey in, in this country, so they all do a a, a, fan, a fantastic job keeping kids engaged in the sport and, and trying their best. And I think it's it's only right that we can get them the education that that they deserve, you know, to improve themselves and improve the players that they're they're getting. But I, I think a, a lot of players will continue to see the trend of of players heading to North America. Um, and I think we'll see more players head head over to, to Scandinavia or Austria or Europe. We're going to end with, uh, we like to call it lightning round, but it's not really going to be fast like it normally is. We're going to ask you kind of just trivial questions. You'll see in a moment. Um, whatever is the first thing that comes to your mind, and if it's just a name, it's a name. If there's a story behind it, feel free to tell a, a story. So this is going to be, I'm going to say in your coaching career, where, and we love to ask this of all of our players, mm-hmm. especially players that have played in North America, Austria, Sweden, wherever, which place has the worst locker rooms? I mean, the worst locker rooms. Call out the arena. <laughs> yeah, it's time to call out that arena. I don't know if I'm allowed to. Um, <laughs> I, but Basing Stoke when, when I was there wasn't great. Um, but there's there's some some locker rooms in, in the, the elite league that could do with some uh, some improvement. But yeah, Basing Stoke wasn't wasn't great. They, they had porter cabins outside. Um I don't know if you know even know what a porter cabin is. It's, it's like mm-hmm. um you would you would see like on a like a construction site, you would see like where an office is. Oh. Like yeah, those like they look like they look like storage containers, but they'll have a window. Yeah. Um. So the, the Basingstoke had them. Um. I think they still do. So not a huge fan of Basingstoke's uh, changing facilities. The biggest rivals to Coventry Blaze right now. Yeah. Who's the? And we didn't know this. Uh, we knew that there was a Nottingham Sheffield thing when we talked to a Nottingham former Nottingham player. But we talked to Sully last week. He hates Sheffield. I can't even describe the level of hate that he has for Sheffield. So <laughs> who's Coventry's rival? Um, I think last year we uh, we had some battles against Guildford. Um, yeah, we, we definitely had some battles against against that team. Awesome. Um, what was the most entertaining bus road trip that you remember? Something that maybe it was a, just a, a funny trip or something fun happened. Like we get all of our minor league players over here talk about how the bus was on fire, you know, and they have to stop the bus because the bus blew up and all sorts of crazy stories. What was the most entertaining road trip that you can remember? Um, I think from, from back when I was playing, it was probably when I was a really young boy, we'd, we'd probably be like this. The first time I watched Slapshot on on the bus, I think that was that, that was a defining character like, moment for for me as a person. Like, I think I was only about eleven, oh and, I, and we had we had Slapshot on the bus. So <laughs> that, awesome. that was that was that was fun. Um, but we've we've had some stories. We've had like, the driver leave the bus on, the, leave the lights on in the bus. And we've we've had to sit in the changing room until you know midnight for a tow truck to come and 
charge the battery of the bus. So we've, <laughs> we've had things like that, but we generally we, we have a pretty good bus company in Coventry. So um, nice. yeah, we're, we're we're pretty we're pretty lucky there. Um, there's obviously there's there's some sing songs. Um, but when we were in uh, Romania with the with the GB team, they do um, they do a little rookie sort of karaoke. Uh, for the rookie guys, and that's that's always fun. You always get a good kick out of something like that. But, mm. but when we were in Romania, actually, the the training camp we had we had a coach, and the coach was taking us to it was a, a rink about forty five minutes to an hour away, and uh, it was right next to a football stadium. But the rink itself was actually a, a blow up tent. Like I, I kid you not, it was. To get into the building, you had to go through an airlock. So you had to open one door, stand in this, close close the front door, then open the second door because there was there was vents in there. But oh my god, the ice was superb. The ice was unbelievable, and we we actually played a a pre tournament game in there against uh, Lithuania, and myself and, and my, my the other two coaches, we. Uh, we we were we couldn't stand actually behind the bench because like the, the it was a dome shape if you can understand what I mean yeah um, so if you stood on the bench you you were but you, you couldn't you, you could crouch on the bench and that was you so we actually stood hanging over the boards um, and that was that was pretty pretty crazy um, but sorry back to we we when we got into the tournament. The Romanian Federation had actually provided the buses, and but they were normal public buses. Wow, that's so crazy. it was. But there was no members of the public on it. But the um, so you, you not everybody had a seat. So there was some guys standing and things like that. But on on a rest day, uh, the boys started getting on some karaoke. Um, they were singing all the way all the way back from the rink, and it was it was a real good moment, you know, to see. Like as a coach, you, the one thing you want is a, a cohesive group, and and when you see twenty young men throw their ego out of the room, out of the bus, that they have absolutely no, you know, quarrels of, of about you know just showing their, their personalities and, and being able to just let go and, and sing it. It's a nice moment for a coach, especially at that level and, and that age. Um, so yeah, that was that was probably. And most recently, the, that that bus, it was a Wednesday, it was on a rest day in Romania. Awesome. We're going to end with a, a positive question. So it'll make you think, what was your best coaching decision that you ever made? Something where either you directly had to, uh, you know, uh, had the authority to, to act on it or that you said, hey, I think we ought to try this. They did and it worked and it made you look like a hockey genius. <laughs> um, I, that's that's a, a, a tough question. Like I, I like to think that any any decisions that we make are, are always beneficial for the team. Um, like changing matchups on the back end. Um, if we've had a specific matchup, um, and I can see that there's one of our D pairings is is working because predominantly on on the bench, I'm in charge of of the D and, and Stewie runs the forwards. Um. But you know, we will sit down beginning of a game and, and discuss, you know, what who do we want out against who. Um, so and 
terms of that, you know, seeing a, 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 a pairing, you know, really play well and, you you know, I'm going to try that pairing against their top line and they go out and they make you look really good because you've made that. But again, it, it doesn't, it doesn't come down to me looking good. I like I'm, you know, I, I want the team to succeed. Um, and anything I can do to to help that, then I'm then I'm happy with. But I couldn't I couldn't think of a defining moment. Unfortunately, sorry to ruin your question, but I I, I couldn't think of a defining moment. No, it's a, it's a good way to answer it. But you know, it's you know, uh, it it to me, I I think I'd be different if I you know if I said <laughs> oh, I think we ought to do this and do that. No 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 no, they'll go try it. And it works. I'd be strutting in between periods to the locker room, like, "Hey, told you, yeah." And then yeah. I then I make a bad call the next yeah, period. Exactly. But anyway, I digress. Yeah. So, Kino, yes. assistant coach, Coventry Blaze. Thank you we for joining us today. Man. We'll say goodbye off air, but officially, we want to thank you for coming on our podcast, and uh, we can't thank you enough for your time. No, thank you for having me, guys. Um, it's, it's, it was an honour to uh, to be on your podcast. And uh, again, thanks for um, trying to share the exposure for the league. Um, it certainly it certainly helps, you know, getting the, the league out to as many different avenues as we possibly can. But I, again, really appreciate you having me on. Awesome. Thanks, man. Very. Okay. Kino, great guy. Yeah, good times. I understood him. Uh, understood him perfectly. I think, like he said, I don't know if he said it off air or on air. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes, you know, the Scottish can talk a little, little too fast, but he he was great. I understood everything. Yeah, good times. Good to get a, a native guy from the UK on there, and uh, yeah, cool stories. His whole life's been hockey, and uh, he still runs. We didn't get a chance to. We didn't. We ran out of time to talk uh, to talk about this, but he also runs. A lot of hockey academies mm-hmm. and very very active, uh, you know, throughout uh, the whole hockey scene over there. So right. uh, good guy, and uh, he's going to send us some swag. Yeah, awesome. So we'll get cool some stuff. Coventry Bla- uh, Blaze stuff. So we want to thank everybody. We'll uh, sign off from here, and we've got a full boatload of guests coming up, yep. and uh, we'll talk to everybody next week. And again, for our UK listeners, welcome. And especially if we have any Coventry yeah. fans, because we've had some Nottingham, some Sheffield, yeah. some um, Manchester now. Uh, and now we'll work on Coventry. Awesome. Sounds good. Well, I appreciate everybody tuning in. Take care, everyone.